Good morning. I want to make three observations. Um, first is, many of you recognized the orange jumpsuit, didn't you? <laughs> Can I hear an amen? Yeah. You are a witness of what God can do. You know, you are a witness of what God can do, yes. <laughs> Secondly, uh, you notice it took 15 minutes to act it out. That's it. So my challenge to you is during our series in Philippians, as long as it takes, every week take 15 minutes and read the entire book. If you reread it and reread it, you're going to pick up just the nuances of it. And there's a, a lot of incredible stuff in there we're going to be getting through in the next several months. So that is my challenge to you uh, to do that. The third thing. You know, the beauty of this book. Well, let me put it this way. Imagine for a moment you lived somewhere in a period of time and you had a variety of experiences. One of those was you were set up by a group of people and you were illegally arrested. Another group is you're beaten by a mob. They were protesting something and you got in the middle and they just beat you silly. You also were publicly humiliated. There were stories told about you that were not true, made the press, made the news. And you get out of there, okay? You're gone, you're away from that situation and circumstance. And then you find yourself back in prison unjustly again, and you're struggling with physical issues. You might be tempted to get the attitude, why me, Lord? What did I ever do to deserve this? You know, Jeremiah, who was called by God, said this at one point in his life, Jeremiah chapter 12. He says, righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. So you can see he's getting ready to say something. We can put the scripture on the screen. Yet he says, I'd plead my case before you. And here's what he says. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? I mean, you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, I serve you. I love you. I'm doing everything right. And yet those people over there are getting all the kudos. They're getting everything. Why are all those who are treacherous thrive? You, you plant them, they take root, they grow, they produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. They, they don't worship you. They mimic words. So why is life easy for them and why is it tough for me? But you, O oh Lord, know me. You see me, you test my heart towards you. And then he says this, you ever feel this way? Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day. I mean, he says, God, why don't you just take them out? Now, I know none of you think that way when you start thinking about the political election, right? Why don't you just end it all? And there's people on both sides of that argument. And then God answers him. You ever notice sometimes God doesn't give us the answer we like? Here's what he says in verse 5. If you raced with men on foot and they wearied you, how will you compete with horses? It's a nice way of saying, listen, it's going to get worse. If in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of Jordan? 
So while sitting in prison, you're writing to that place where all those things happened. What will be your opening line? What will be your content? And what we discover in this book is that some of the hardest places that we live will also be some of the most blessed places. Amen? So the church in Philippi, again, other things happened, just not those, but those were personal to Paul. It was founded around 50 AD. The first convent, at least convert, at least recorded was Lydia. She opened up her home. There's a story in the book of Acts about a slave girl who was possessed and Jesus exercised the demon out of her. There's the conversion of the jailer and his family. And 10 years after Philippi was founded, we see Paul finding himself in prison again. So the content of this book is mostly personal. And if you know Paul, most of the content is about the gospel of Jesus. 104 verses, takes 15 minutes to read. You will notice 51 times the name of Jesus is mentioned. Yes, Paul is obsessed with the gospel of Jesus. If you notice, it doesn't matter where he is, what his circumstances are, he's always saying something like this. Listen, it's turned out for the advancement of the gospel. Let's look at the first five verses. Philippians chapter one, you can turn there. And I want to make some comments, and then next week we'll get into the body of it. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now the first thing I want to say is that you notice what, where Paul starts. He says we're here to what? We're here to serve. Now you might say serve who? Well, of course, he talks about Jesus Christ. We are here to serve Jesus Christ. But we have to add to that, we're here also to serve what Christ himself calls the body of Christ. His church. We're to serve one another. But then we have to add to that again because one day when Jesus was talking about, you know, who is my neighbor, he tells a story. And the story says there are no exceptions. So the first thing we do is think about service to Jesus, service to his church, and service to our neighbors. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. Now we live in a crazy day where we are obsessed with our rights. It's all about our customer experience. And for someone to come along and say, listen, it's not about you, it's about your service, no matter what you think, no matter where you're at, no matter whether you're in prison or out of prison, no matter whether you think your situations are just or unjust, you're here to serve. That is absolutely crazy in light of our culture today. Now there's a company, many of you probably heard them, especially of kids. It's called Build-A-Bear. Now the idea of Build-A-Bear Company is that you get to choose a bear that is designed by you. Now for those that don't identify with little stuffed teddy bears, how about the buffet? You identify with food? We all do, amen? The buffet is where you get to design your plate of food from a very large selection. Now listen to this tweet. It's making its rounds on social media. 
It came out in Breakpoint Magazine, September 14th, 2020. Here's what it says, and it should be on the screen. This person writes, I'm a Christian, and I believe proselytizing, evangelizing, is violence. I'm a Christian, and I believe the LGBTQ and people are divine and should lead us. I'm a Christian, and I don't go to church. I'm a Christian, and I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. That's what you call build the bear religion, or buffet style. Now, I'm curious why someone who rejects the church, evangelism, Christian morality, and the Bible, why would they still keep the title Christian? That fascinates me, and we're not going to get into the psychological dimensions of that. But this is what's going on today. Francis Chan was speaking about the pandemic, COVID-19, and he says this crisis has revealed weaknesses in our church, and that's true with any crisis. It always reveals cracks in our structure. But his challenge is that COVID-19 is a great opportunity to go deeper with God. Now, he makes this interesting observation. Here it is. He says, when you look at the places where there is religious freedom, and you compare those places to where there is no religious freedom, what have we done with the freedom? Now, his analysis is that for those of us that have religious freedom, and we have in America far greater than any other country, he said it's just weakened the church. Now, if Paul were here, if Paul were on stage, and you'd ask him about COVID-19, I imagine he would say this. COVID-19, it's a great opportunity to advance the gospel of Jesus. You bring up politics to Paul, he'd say, political chaos, it's a great opportunity to advance the gospel of Jesus. If you talk about the riots and the protests, he would say, you know, it's really a great opportunity to advance the gospel of Jesus. You're going to see that in Philippians. Paul is very consistent in all his responses saying, listen, no matter where we find ourselves, it's a great opportunity to advance the gospel of Jesus. And what we need is people who are willing to serve. We like to talk about it, but Paul says you need to engage doing something about it. And we're going to get into that in the book of Philippians. So I think Francis Chance would agree with Paul, and Paul would say to us, you know, this is an opportunity to do something new, something different than people expect, and something beyond what people expect. So I ask you this morning, how are you serving in the midst of crisis? And this crisis is multi-tiered. I don't want to get into it. Are you serving the way you want to serve? You know, that is, well, as long as things go my way, as long as they do things my way, then I'm willing to serve. Let me address COVID-19 for a second in practical dimensions. Now, I think you know and I know that we're all experts in our opinions. <laughs> Part of the problem is with social media, we can gather evidence both science and medical to support those opinions. And that's part of what's creating the chaos. It's part of what the contradiction of the process has been. But let me give you this advice. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. See, what matters is that you serve with other people in mind. 
those who you disagree with your opinions. Why? In order to advance the gospel. You do so in humility, not in pride, that I know something they don't know. You listen and you respectfully serve Christ in spite of ours and theirs opinions. And again, the emphasis is on serving, no matter where and what is happening to us. So Paul first talks about we're servants. Then he shifts from a mindset and lifestyle of serving to calling for grace and peace from God to the church. And of course, later on, he talks about two ladies not getting along. He says, listen, grace and peace, grace and peace. Look at your advancement of the gospel. Don't look at your differences. But what Paul expects is God's grace and peace to be in the church. I want you to hear that. Paul expects that God's grace and peace to be in the church. And then he says, I thank God for you. And when I think about you, it brings joy. Now think about those two emotions for a moment. When you think about the church, what do you feel? When you think about GBC, (laughs) what do you feel? Now we have to ask why Paul is full of gratitude and joy. But what is it about that church that brings these emotions? Now, before we get into this why, let me ask this question. Are you the kind of person that brings gratitude and joy when you show up? Think about that. Or are you the person that people say, oh, no, look, here they come. (laughs) You laugh because you have people in your life like that, don't you? Let's be nice and do the Christian thing because we have to. Think about how you're living right now. Are people grateful and full of joy when you show up? Now here's Paul's why. And again, the entire book really is about this. It's about partnership with the gospel. He says from day one until now. Now he gives us further details to this. Philippians chapter four, verse 15. Here's what he says. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me and giving and receiving, except you only. Think about that. You know, we often make Paul this glorious, heroic kind of person because he wrote so many books, and yet we have most of the churches bailing on him while he's in prison. But what does partnership mean? Now, I know we often think of the word supportive, but let me use another word. Let me use the word alignments. You see, they believed the gospel, they financially supported the gospel, and they embodied the gospel. Now, let me attempt to bring this into practical insight for our day. I mean, there is without question evil in this world. And with our current social media, we hear and see this all around us. Many here this morning have lived and looked in the face of some horrific evil. Now, if we're not careful, because it's all out there, the information's there, we hear the stories we've experienced in our own lives, we can become consumed by it. And we're consumed by it, it captures our mind, it infiltrates our hearts, and we are not filled with gratitude and joy. And this is not what people need today. 
We are called to speak life. We're called to speak the gospel into people. Now, if you remember two weeks ago, I talked about Isaiah. He had a vision of God sitting on his throne. And we had this unique phrase that says, the earth is full of his glory. That was present tense. That was fact. And the reality is either we fix our eyes on our circumstances and we get caught up in the political rhetoric, it becomes all about our opinions and our freedoms and our rights, or we fix our eyes on Jesus, then it becomes about his spirit, his mission, his glory. Think of it this way. We are what we eat. <laughs> we can eat the pressures of our circumstances. And if we do, we are not going to be a person of gratitude and joy. We can fill our stomachs with the grace, peace, and joy, and the gratitude of God. And that's the kind of hope that this world needs, amen? Several decades ago, I was attending a general conference of the Brethren in Christ Church, which I was part of then. A man that I had a lot of respect for, his name was Owen Aldifer, asked this question. He said, does your life call people to commit to a holy God? Think about that. Does your life call people to commit to a holy God? And he said, there's three areas our witness. Here's what he said. He says, we are, number one, our witness is who we are. That's our character. Our witness is what we speak. Now, we can add today because back then we didn't have social media. We were still in snail mail. There was no computers. We can talk about what we post on Facebook, what we tweet, all those kinds of things that's half of it, I don't know what it is anymore. And it's what we do. It's how we live. See, this is partnership. It's alignment of our character, it's alignment of our words, it's alignment of our lives. And while we have differing opinions and methods and skills and passions and gifts, we're aligned with the gospel of Jesus. In Philippians, Paul is obsessed with the gospel of Jesus. He calls for unity around the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. So I'd encourage you, as you read this book, Look at the little nuances and ask God's spirit to just infect and invade with these powerful words so that we are unified as a church and pushing forward through chaos. And I will confess today, I don't think I've seen this, this kind of chaos on all levels in my own lifetime. But we become the opportunity. <laughs> we become the hope. We become the joy that when people see us coming, they're like, okay, you know, this is a good thing. So your challenge is to do what? Read Philippians every week. One sitting. It only takes 15 minutes. I could tell you where you could probably do that in 15 minutes, but I won't. <laughs> We're going to close this morning with a prayer. Um, it's really a pair of praise to God, and we're going to pray it together. Again, I want to thank Piercing Word for just really opening up this book for us and seeing a visual display of the words. It's very powerful, isn't it? And this book will set us to see the opportunity we have today for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. So, will you pray this with me? Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, 
I want to lift up my hands and voice to worship you in thanksgiving and praise for all the goodness and loving kindness that you so freely pour out on me with every passing day. Thank you for the grace that you supply moment by moment and day by day. And I pray that you would develop in me a true attitude of gratefulness and a heart that acknowledges the long-suffering way that you are working in so many areas of my life. Lord, I am very grateful to you and pray that you would keep my heart filled with appreciation for all you have done for me. Develop in me a godly attitude of gratefulness so that I may never cease to praise you for your gracious goodness to me and to all people. May I learn to recognize that all the gifts and graces I have is a result of your loving kindness towards me. And may I never cease to lift up my hands and voice to you in grateful praise for all you are doing in my life. May the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified, I pray. Amen. Go in God's grace and peace.